0: I don't know about you, but um, my mum used to be a uh, regular listener to Desert Island Discs. You remember? I think, is it still on? Is it still on? It's still on, Desert Island Discs. I can see some of you even responded positively. You must be listening to it, after all. Wow, yeah, okay, good. Well, on Desert Island Discs, it's, it wasn't one of the programs that I really wanted to listen to, but it was there on in the background at times. And, of course, if you are an avid listener of Desert Island Discs, you'll know, of course, that these celebrities are invited on, or guests, and they have to choose the discs that they're going to take with them when they're marooned on their island. And uh, right at the end, having chosen all their six or seven, eight songs, whatever it is, they are asked what book they will take. I think they're given the Bible and the complete works of Shakespeare. The latter would be good for burning fire, lighting fires, I think, in my case. But anyway... uh, But they're then asked to choose. And I think if I was asked to choose a book to take, I'd I'd certainly be tempted by The Lord of the Rings. I've enjoyed reading that several times. But I guess the one I would take, and I'm meant to bring it, but forgotten, is The Chronicles of Narnia. You might say, well, that's a children's book. Well, it is a children's book. but It's a lot more than a children's book. And uh, if you haven't read it, well you haven't uh, I know wanted to have been made into films, but you should read the book. Again, I've read them several times over the years. C.S. Lewis, in the Chronicles of Narnia, paints pictures of a different world. And, of course, he's telling a story, but really it's not... He's pinched the story. He's pinched the story from the Bible. Because, basically, behind his story of Narnia is the great big story of, of God and humanity. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and uh, all of that. You'll probably know that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were, were, were good friends. I've been reading a book that Heather lent to Kim, uh, uh, which is a biography of uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. and uh, So I'm sure Heather will lend it to you if, when I've finished with this. But Tolkien and Lewis were very great they were very um they weren't just authors they wrote these books but they were they were great uh, great minds both uh, had been to oxford and now were teaching at oxford university tolkien was a christian you might see therefore one or two things coming through in lord of the rings um cs lewis was a definite atheist and a brilliant mind and he just couldn't he couldn't he couldn't he couldn't understand christianity in one of his letters he writes, how, how can the life and death of someone else, whoever he was 2,000 years ago, um, help us here and now? Good question. He couldn't, he couldn't see it. But over a period of time, and particularly through his relationship with Tolkien, Lewis began to see that so many things fitted together. He began to see that the reality of the Christian message made sense from all this stuff that he'd learnt in terms of his history and of different religions and of, and of his own experiences, he began to see that it was real. He said, I helped to realise that the Christian faith could integrate reason, longing and imagination. He got the big picture. He didn't want to become a Christian. He wasn't looking for God in that sense and as you may know in his own autobiography, when he became a Christian, he said, I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in the whole of England. A bit different to perhaps some of the way we think about coming to Christ. Why have I told you that? Well, you'll see there'll be one or two connections later on, but first of all, it's a bit like Paul who wrote the letter to the Ephesians. You see, Paul wasn't looking to become a Christian, was he? In fact, he was doing the very opposite. He was so convinced that this Christianity, this message that the followers of Jesus were preaching about Jesus Christ, he was so convinced that it was not true and that it therefore was blasphemous that he was doing everything he could. And again, he had a great brain, a bit like C.S. Lewis. He was doing everything that he could to put it to an end. So he was going and having Christians, families, mothers, children, arrested, put into prison, and no doubt some of them were being executed for their Christian faith. So he was not looking to become a Christian. And then God met him, didn't he, on that road to Damascus. And uh, the message uh, of, when Paul is on trial at the end in Acts before King Agrippa and, and the Roman governor, uh, Paul tells the story of how Jesus met him on that road. And uh, he said, in the message translation simplifies, it's lovely, he says, Jesus says, I'm Jesus and I've got a job for you. I'm Jesus, and I've got a job for you to do. Paul was a reluctant convert. He says at the end of that message, at the end of that defence before King Agrippa, again in the message, he says, "What could I do, King Agrippa? What could I do? I didn't choose this. I didn't choose. I didn't work it all out and think this made sense. I didn't. I didn't have any choice." God met me on the road to Damascus, and that was it. I couldn't do anything else, could I? What choice did I have but to obey? And Paul goes on, and of course Paul writes many of these letters, including the one that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Let's just read the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to it in your Bibles, and I haven't got the page number. I know I should have done that from anyone who wants one of the uh, church Bibles. Put your hand up if you want one. Somebody will certainly come and find you. Ephesians chapter 1, the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. That's how it, that's how it happened. It was God's, God's will that that, that that changed the whole direction of his life. God chose him and sent him. Now, when he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison, or at least under house arrest in Rome for his Christian faith. That's where he is when he's writing this letter, so we believe. And uh, next line, he says, To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The saints, right? This is not some special category of Christians. This is not the holy ones. This is not the ones who go to all the meetings and do all the jobs and all the rest of it. This is every believer in Ephesus and the surrounding area. We, in God's eyes, and Phil was talking about God's perceptive, if we are in Christ, and we're going to talk about that a bit more in a moment, if we're in Christ, we are saints. It's nothing to do with how well we live, right? It's what God has done for us. Our old youth leader, saying the other night, used to, one of his favorite sayings was, Wake up, saints! Wake up, saints! Realize who you are. Realize who you are in Christ, and live accordingly. And uh, uh, and so these people were saints. They were in Ephesus, big city, one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. It had a stadium of 25,000. I've sat in it. There wasn't a football match going on at the time. In fact, there wasn't anything happening. It was just very hot. But it was a big, important city in Rome. And these Christians were in that city. Paul had lived there himself. But he says, "As as, as, as well as being in Ephesus... He also says, and this is key to the whole of Ephesians, he says to the saints in Ephesus who are in Christ Jesus. You see, these people are in two worlds, which is where we start thinking about Narnia and and Lord of the Rings and all the rest. These people are in two worlds. They're living in Ephesus, this big, important Roman city. But they're also in Christ Jesus. And it's as if, and I meant to bring them this morning again for God, it's as if they've got two passports. They are citizens of two countries. They are living day by day in Ephesus, but they're a citizen of heaven. And Paul talks about the heavenly realms and the heavenlies. And the way that they are to live day by day in Ephesus is to be determined by the fact that they are citizens in heaven. That is how they are to, that is how to choose to live in Ephesus. And that's really important. You see, as we'll read through Ephesians over the next few weeks, you'll see that Paul realizes that there's more than one world. There's more than one world. There's the world that you can see, and we can see a bit of it around us now. The seen world, but there's also the unseen world. And the unseen world is just as real, in fact, C.S. Lewis would say, it is more real than the world that you see. He talks about this world being the shadow, shadowlands. There's another world, a real world, and it is just as real in every sense. And there are connections between these worlds. And also, Paul realizes that there's an age now in which we live, but there is an age to come. What we, where we are now and the time in which we're living is just something that is part of something much, much bigger. And the mes- message of the Ephesians, you'll see there's a note in the news sheet as to why we should be studying Ephesians. You can read that, I can read it anytime. But it's that through what God has done in the past, what he's doing today through his Holy Spirit... What he is doing is that he's building a new community of people who may live in Ephesus, they may live in Gloucester, but this community of people are now citizens of a new world and are being prepared for a new age to come. And instead of just living all out there in the abstract and the whatever else, that very thought is to change, that very reality is to change the way we live today here in Gloucester, or wherever God sends us. We call this week One Vision. This, the title for this, uh, this Sunday, One Vision. And I sort of borrowed, I'll let you... I'm not going to explain this, it's just a strange way my wi- mind works. I called it One Vision to Rule Them All, which of course has some connections with the Lord of the Rings... But there's a couple of, you might want to think about how that might work out. One vision, let's stick with that. But, uh, we did something as leaders, um, with the leaders at, uh, at uh, Newant a couple of weeks ago, and the, we were talking about vision. And I asked the question, I said, can you think of anybody who had a vision, a big vision? And the first two people who put their hands up said, who do you think they said? Anybody want to guess? They both said the same person. Someone who got had a big vision? No, it's not. Well, it could be. This is not in the Bible. Martin Luther King. King. Right, they both said Martin Luther King. But yeah, Isaiah had a massive vision. and We're not going to have a chance to look about that today. Martin Luther King. And you'll remember, won't you, it's just over 50 years ago that he stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial, 1963. And he delivered that that dress that people still remember. Here's some of it. Here's, Here's some real extracts. One or two things that you'll remember, one or two others. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, one day little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls and be brothers and sisters. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Here's Isaiah. One day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Quoting from Isaiah 40. And when this happens, this is how he finished. And when this happens, when we, when we allow freedom ring When we let it ring from every village, every city, every state, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. I'm not going to sing it. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. You might want to study that and say, let's see how this relates to the whole book of Ephesians. You'll find quite a few connections in there, but we're not going to do that this morning. Martin Luther King had a great vision. He saw something. He had, he had an understanding or a hope or an expectation of the future. He was living, and we went, Kim and I went to see the film The Butler, which is all about the American Civil Rights Movement not so long ago. In that film, you, be, you think, was it really like that in 1963? But those things happening then in America? And they were. And he was living in the midst of this, this divided society where there, in some places there was such hatred, such, such unfairness, injustice, and yet he was living in the middle of it, but he could see that this was not the end. He could believe that things would be different. Whether he ever believed that there would be a black president <laughs> within 50 years, I don't know. But he believed and he articulated it and he motivated people and other people came to see it through him. You see, we can talk about the way that the present affects the future. We can talk about the way the past has affected the present. But here's the other thing. Our vision, our view of the future will affect the present. Our view of the future will affect the present. Do you see that? That was true of Martin Luther King. And this is true now about Paul and his vision that we're going to look at, that Heather has read to us. His, his perception of things. You see, Paul has got a great vision. It's a God-given vision. And it's a lot bigger than Martin Luther King's vision. Big as that was. Although, as we said, there are some corrections. And Paul also, when he's writing about this vision... He's not in the best of places. As I said, he's, in a, he's in effectively in prison. All he's seeing are the same four walls day after day. And yet he sees way, way beyond those four walls, doesn't he? He sees things that most people have never even thought of. Because God has revealed, has opened up his mind to these things. And he's so excited about what he sees And those 12 verses or so that Heather read to us, he's so excited that he forgets to put any punctuation in those verses. (laughs) It's just one long sentence. Very bad English. But he's just so excited about all the things that he sees God has done, is doing, and will do. He can't stop himself. So it's not the easiest passage to read, or or in that sense, to preach on. And he has a vision that's before time. As in a couple of the songs that he's sung, you may see a lot of connections because Phil's connected things in. He sees a vision that began before the creation of the world. And you know what? He says, God did something that affects you before the creation of the world. And he sees way after, when this world, as we know it, (coughs) will have gone, and it will go. I'm not saying that we won't still live on the earth, that's another discussion point, but but the world as we know it will go. There will be a new world. There will be a new cosmos. And heaven and earth will come together in a way that I don't understand. There is this age, but there will be a new age. And if we believe these things, they will impact the way that we live today. If we don't, they won't have any effect whatsoever. And and Paul has a vision also. That it's God that's doing it, God that's at work, and it's God that's going to bring it to conclusion. And because of that, it will, perhaps unlike Martin Luther King's vision, it's not just a hope. This is certainty. This is reality. A vision, though, that translates in the here and now. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So you're not so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. If we really are truly heavenly minded, we will be the most earthly good. And that's true We can think of great people like Wilberforce and all the rest of it. Very quickly then, what do did, what did we read here? Well, first, three things about the past, the present, and the future. In the past, God chose you. I'm not going to have time to really open any of these things up because there's just so much, one could, and so much one could say. And you're going to have to pick some things up in your home group and you'll see you've got the notes there. And those of you who don't go home groups, you've got the notes that you can use, uh, the questions perhaps that you can ask yourself at home. But he says in the past, God Chose you. Before the foundation of the world, can you believe this? This is what Paul says. Before the foundation of the world, God connected you and Christ. You might think you've chosen to follow God, you might think you've asked Him into your life, and that's true. But the bigger picture is that God chose you. And he's put you in Christ. In Christ together. As a community of God's people. You can only choose God because he first chose you. Don't ask me to explain that. But that's what the Bible clearly teaches. And we, like Israel, who were also chosen by God. And again, that's not because they were impressive. It's not because they were a great nation. In fact, the very opposite. But they were chosen simply because God loved them you can read that in Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 simply because God loved them and the Bible teaches that because God loved us he chose us none of us well I'm certainly not I I think most of us would recognize that we're not very impressive we're not very special we're not chosen because we deserve to be chosen we're chosen because God loved us and has purposes for us. In the present we are to be and to live as his sons, as his children. He says, in love he predestined, (coughs) it's another word for chose if you like, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ for his pleasure and will. There are many children today who would love to be adopted. They would love to be part of a family know a bit about adoption through my own family situation. Do you know something? They can't, they can't make themselves adopted. They can't do it. It has to be somebody else's initiative that says, we'll adopt you. We'll take you and you'll become part of our family. And that's what God has done with us. It's His initiative. And He has chosen us to be His children. And we're to live as His children. I mustn't walk away, I get told. We're to live as his children. In the Oval Office sits the most powerful man in the world. You and I could not get to see him. But there are two people who can walk into that Oval Office, really probably without much of an announcement. Perhaps they can even barge in, I don't know. And they can call him Daddy. There's two daughters. And we are called to be his children. And his children, we have that privilege that we can be in his presence. We can go to him at any time. We can call him Father. We can call him Dad. Do you see how big this vision is that Paul has? Do you see how mind-blowing it is? And that's what he teaches. That's what he's come to know. So the past is, God has chosen you. The present is, we're to live as his children. And the future is, we will share his glory. He says, when the times will have reached their fulfillment, when these times will have reached their fulfillment, I don't know when that is, but it could be very soon. When these times will have reached their fulfillment, God has a plan. And it's to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. And we will share his glory. We will rule with him, the Bible teaches us elsewhere. We will share his glory. All peoples will be brought together. There will be no barriers. All peoples from every tribe and every nation, the living... And the dead, throughout history, those that are trusted in Christ, those that are now in Christ, will come together, and God's new community will be seen in all its wonder and glories. Just as we come now to tell, how, how can all this be? How can God give us all of these things? How can we can we be chosen? How can we be His children? How can we have this wonderful future? Well, we've already read it also in Ephesians. It says, In His glorious ga- grace, which is freely given us in the one He loves, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Yesterday I read, and it spoke to me, um, a passage that you'll know and I've read many times before, but it really spoke to me. And that was the, the lady that Jesus met at this, the well in Samaria. Do you remember? Here is a tired Jewish man sitting down by the well. His disciples have gone off into the village, and he's sitting by the well, and this lady, in the middle of the day, comes out to draw water. And she, I think she laughs at Jesus when he, when he asks her for a drink. I think she laughs at him. What, what's going on here? This Jewish man asking me for a drink. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God... And if you knew who it was that was standing here in front of you, you would have asked him. And he would have given you, though you're so undeserving, though you're a messed up lady, though you have no rights, he would have given you that gift of living water. Living water that will last forever. We come this morning and celebrate communion because that's what God in Christ has done for each one of us. And we praise him and we worship Him. So I want you to imagine Paul sitting there in his, in his house. And uh, who would you rather be? Would you rather be Paul, who's stuck in his house, away from many of his friends, no doubt not sure what the future would be for him immediately, but having this this real, it's not just a vision out there, but having something that is so real, or would you rather be free and having a great time in the city of Ephesus with its temp- wonder of the world, the Temple of Diana? Enjoying a really good life, and how are we going to be now? Would you, are you going to be more? Are we going to be more like Paul now in the here and now, in our lives? Are we going to be more like the Ephesians—not the Ephesian Christians, but the Ephesians in that big city, who are just living and having a great time? It's a great city. Paul comes down from his high as he writes these words probably having somebody else write them for him because often it seems he, had to, he couldn't whatever it, for whatever reason couldn't write himself it comes down from having dictated these things and he comes back and his thoughts go back to these people these Christians in Ephesus and we have got no time at all I'm not going to tr- even try um, to go through 15 to 23 just to say this though that as he thinks about these Christians in Ephesians he thinks he, he says he says in verse 15 that ever since I heard about your faith and the Lord Je- in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints I've not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers and he thinks about their faith in Christ Jesus And he thinks about their love for one another. You remember in Ephesus, we've got Jews and Gentiles. People who were like Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland a few years ago. Or in some ways, it's still the same. We've got Jews and Gentiles who've become Christians. We've got masters and we've got slaves. And they're all in the church together. And he says, I think about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've come to trust Him. And I think about your love for one another. Do you know what? That encouraged Paul. He was encouraged as he thought about them. Even though he was stuck in his his room, he was encouraged. How do we encourage one another? How do we bring praise and glory to God, which is repeated throughout this passage? But how also do we encourage one another? You see... As Roger Spirits spoke the other week, we do need to love one another, right? But love is not, is not, some, it's not some feeling. The feelings come sometimes and they go at other times. Love is, is real, isn't it? It's practical. It's down-to-earth stuff. It's not always reciprocated. So how is we? How are we in, in Abbey Church going to love one another? You see, he has this vision, this huge vision of what God is about and what he's going to do. And, uh, and as we'll read through the rest of Ephesians, we'll see that it's not just all out there. It's down to earth. It's the way that we live in our families. It's, the way it's, it's our marriages. The way we live as husbands and wives. It's the way we live as a community, as Christians. It's the way... It's the way we work and doing our jobs even when they're difficult and we don't want to go to work. It's the way we do those things. It's the way above all that we are God's new community that points to what God has done in the past and what he's going to do in the future that in a sense gives some foretaste of of who God is and what it will be like. And I want us to be and you want us to be, don't you? A real community. We don't just want to be people that turn up for church on Sunday. We don't just want it to be like that, do we? We want it to be so, so much more. We know that means denying ourselves. We know that means doing things that we wouldn't otherwise do. But we do it because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do it out of love for one another. May Ephesians really grip our hearts like it gripped Paul's. And may it therefore work out in everyday changes, in the decisions we make, the choices we make, so that Jesus might be honored and glorified. And one day, we'll be part of that perfect community, where all of creation is brought together, and as in Narnia, the trees will be singing, creation will be released from its bondage, and a new age and a new world will come into being. And I want to live, and I want to try, and I fail so often, I want to try and live the way I live here. I want it to be a reflection of that's what I believe. May that be true for all of us in Jesus' name.